like to remind, I'm really excited to see so many people at the pub on a Wednesday here to discuss alcohol at alcohol company. That is so that is it's really fitting. Um, we will uh, today we'll be looking at one company's operations in African country uh, companies in particular uh, countries in particular. We'll be taking getting uh, to know Heineken more thoroughly. Uh, we will, however, also uh, get a closer acquaintance with how the alcohol industry operates uh, in African countries and also in the global south in general. Uh, and this will also give us a perspective on the general, uh, in general, on how multinationals operate um, around the globe. Um, so, from the specific to the general, to, to the general, and then also. I hope that we'll be able also to draw some links to Norway and to our investments and how we are linked, linked to that. And we will we'll be able to do all of this within an hour and a half, I hope. Uh, uh, Juma said that we have room until 8, but I hope that we'll be able to actually finish up before 7.30. Um, our main guest uh, tonight is uh, Olivier van Beemen, who is here. He will be speaking to you very, very shortly. Uh, he is an investigative journalist from Holland, and he's also the author of the book Heineken in Africa. Uh, this book is a result of three years of research. Um, Olivier visited 11 African countries in his research for this book, and he also actually spoke to more than 300 sources. And he's also been, uh, been uh, spending loads of time in the archives of companies. Uh, so it's quite extensive research which has lies behind this, this book, and you will get to know some of this uh, just now in a minute when Olivia is speaking. Uh, we will also have some comments. Um, one of the uh, people who are supposed to be uh, panelists here today, Emeki Dumbili, um, was sadly not able to come due to visa problems. However, um, uh, we're, he sent us a video, so uh, we're looking forward to seeing that afterwards. And then Eistan Dokke from uh, Forest will also be commenting. And then also we hope that we will leave some time for some discussion here and then also some questions from you. So if you have questions uh, um, along, along as we go, just please take them down and remember because you're trying to talk. But to take us into this, please Olivia. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. Uh, yeah, with many, uh, many of you, I'm, uh, I'm very, uh, very honoured. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of research on uh, Heineken in Africa. Um, I like uh, to drink uh, well their beers normally, but uh, <laughs> many people ask me, are you boycotting him now after all their um, all, the, all the critical writing about him? Heineken was never my favorite beer, but they have other brands that I really like, so my purpose is not to boycott them, but my purpose is to have a real look at what they are, what they are actively doing in, uh, actually doing in Africa. Um, I wrote my, yeah, I'll show it you briefly. I wrote my book in Dutch. Uh, it's pretty thick, as you see. Uh, but the good news is that uh, it will also be published in English and, uh, and in French uh, later this year. 
which means that most uh, people in Africa will be able to read it as well, which, uh, which I really uh, yeah, like and find important. Um, let me first briefly explain you how I got the idea of, of getting, of digging into what's Heineken, uh, what Heineken is doing in Africa. I was in 2011, I was in Tunisia to cover the downfall of the Ben Ali regime, which was kind of the beginning of the Arab Spring. And when I was there, after writing a few stories on the, on the political situation, I kind of found out that uh, Heineken was active there, and that they were collaborating with, um, with someone who was a member of the clan of this dictator that was, uh, after 27 years in office, that was being uh, set aside. So I thought, well, that's interesting, and I wasn't aware myself that, that Heineken was active, was brewing beer in a country like Tunisia. So I thought, well, let's have a look where, uh, where else Heineken is, uh, is having business in Africa. And I discovered that they're actually, that they're really quite big. They're actually the second brewer on the continent. They're, they have uh, local operating companies in, in all these uh, countries that you see there. And um, it's, it's interesting to give you a little bit of a context of the African beer market, before I get more into detail. Uh, the African beer market is very, very concentrated. There are, um, there are four big companies, uh, SAB Miller, who, who is the biggest, Castel, a French company, Diageo, a British company, and Heineken. And with the four of them, they, have, they control 93% of the whole African beer markets. And SAB Miller and Castel, the French company, they're closely working together. So you could say that there are only three companies who dominate almost to complete the entire African beer markets. So, yeah, like uh, Ingrid uh, told you already, the book is based on um, quite some research. Uh, almost, it was not more than, but almost 300 sources spoken <laughs> that I spoke to, that I met. Uh, and I had to taste all those different beers to get uh, an objective view, of course, so, uh, also of the competitors. Um, yeah, so how, what did Heineken think of this? Um, I, I contacted them um, while, after doing my field work, and of course they weren't really that pleased uh, that I was digging into their, uh, their lucrative African affairs. They like to keep it a bit quiet, uh, what happens in Africa stays in Africa. So um, they, were, they weren't really willing to cooperate. Um, I didn't get official interviews with, with, uh, with their managers, and uh, I sent them my, my manuscript, my draft, uh, before publication. Like, please tell me if I made any mistake, comment if you want, but they refused to, to do anything like that. So afterwards, uh, after a month, when I saw that the book was pretty serious and was getting quite some attention uh, in the Dutch media, they, they, on their corporate website, they, they, they thought, we have to react. And, well, the way they put it is that, uh, well, they, they give me the right to do research on, on them, which is pretty nice. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, basically, my book, which, like you saw, it's based on a lot of archive research, a lot of literature, almost 300 sources, it's, it's pretty thick as you can see, um, they reduce it to an opinion. And they actually have another opinion, and well, both are valid, they kind of uh, put it. So um, they kind of try to frame it, it's, it's a popular way of framing things these days, 
Like, um, it's our, these are not facts, but it's, it's an opinion. And we have an alternative opinion, and our opinion is, is supported by the IMF, by the World Bank, by the United Nations, and you are just an individual. <laughs> so that's kind of the way they, uh, they look at it. They also say that um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not in favor of, of companies being active in developing countries. In my book, I write the exact opposite, but uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's the way they put it. Um, finally, only a few months ago, uh, that was a year after my book was published, I got to meet the big boss of, uh, of Heineken, Jean-Francois von Boxmeer. It was a public discussion on my book. I was not invited, but uh, I was there anyway. <laughs> and uh, he told me, well, yeah, yeah, we should meet after the, after the, the discussion. So um, he actually gave me quite an interesting quote. Uh, we're not used to such critical books. We don't like it. Very challenging, and it has led to soul-searching. Because I asked him from the audience, uh, like, what concretely changed after I had published this book? And uh, so, yeah, he couldn't say anything concrete, but he said it's serious soul-searching, yeah, soul uh, whatever that might mean. But uh, they, they are working on it now to improve things, uh, I was told. Uh, oh yeah, now it's time for a small video. As you can see um, in this uh, in this advert, um, Heineken really claims, and uh, rightly so in many aspects, to be an entire part of uh, of the country. Like this is an advert for Nigerian breweries, Heineken, uh, which is a local operating company in, in Nigeria. And it's not that Heineken only brings Heineken beer to Africa, but they always have their local brands, uh, like Star Beer. And Star Beer is really considered to be a Nigerian beer. And for example, Holland has another big company, as you, as you all know, together with the Brits, uh, Shell. 
Shell is, is really regarded uh, in Nigeria mostly in a bad way because of all the, the pollution and, uh, and other stuff. But Heineken is really uh, seen by most people, Nigerian breweries, is seen as a, as a real Nigerian company and uh, has uh, quite a positive uh, image uh, in, in this country. It's also noted at the local stock markets, so people who own shares really they feel a lot closer to this company than, than other people would, uh, would feel. And my first impressions of Heineken in Africa were actually really quite positive. Uh, when I looked into the archives, I saw an impressive uh, historic presence. Uh, it was already like around 1900 that Heineken was, was bringing the first beers. They, they've been brewing locally since the 1930s. And I also noticed that um, some of the countries in Africa, well, okay, in a way, Africa is, is, is doing, uh, yeah, you all know this, uh, is doing a little bit better than, than uh, used to uh, do, like since 2000 there has been quite a bit of economic growth, people say that there's rising Africa, but I went to some countries like Burundi or Sierra Leone where there wasn't much of a rising Africa, it was still very poor and uh, not that much, uh, ah yeah, oh sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, so I saw that um, um, there were still uh, very poor and difficult countries, but at the same time, uh, Heineken run very smooth operations and uh, they, they've managed to get their beers to the remotest areas of all these countries. So from a business perspective, it was really quite impressive what Heineken had managed to do. And Heineken's narrative on this, the way Heineken would tell you what's happening, is that Africa is a continent full of obstacles. A former manager said, Heineken of Africa is an open sea. And the ships of Heineken miraculously sail through this while bringing developments to the people, nicely brewed beer, and, um, and so on. Um, so the obstacles of, of Africa, of course, poverty, unreliable infrastructure, instability. You, all, yeah, you see what's, uh, what I wrote down here. Um, this is the way that, that Heineken would present, present Africa. But what they fail, fail to mention is that these obstacles, in reality, they offer a lot of possibilities that by far outweigh the inconveniences. So, for instance, I put down that low levels of education is, is an obstacle because it means that it's harder to find skilled employees. But low levels of education means also that it's easier to influence people. And what Heineken really succeeded in doing is to make consumers believe that the best thing you can do with the little money you have is to buy a beer. In Africa, they really succeeded in attaching a lot of positive values to beer. Like beer is, is a symbol of success. If you can, uh, you now have the rising middle class in Africa. In Africa, you're very quickly part of the middle class. If you have more than two dollars you can spend, you're part of the middle class. Well, with, with $2 per day, it's hard to buy a car. But what you can do, you can buy a beer with it. So it really, um, if you're able to buy this beer, it means to many that you, you, it's a symbol of being part of the middle class. Um, it's also that Africa offers, um, and Emeka will talk about this later as well, Africa offers like really limitless possibilities of marketing. To give you a little example, uh, 
show you here. This is in Kinshasa. In Kinshasa, the capital of, uh, of the DR Congo. Uh, whole districts in this, in this city have been painted in the color of, uh, of Primus, which is the light blue, what you see there. And they don't only paint it on bars or on shops that sell beer, but they even put it on pharmacies, as you can see here. They also paint it on a police office, on a school bus. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there's, there's, no, there's no real boundary to where you can put uh, beer uh, advertising. Um, another, exam another example of a, of a big advantage that's, um, that Africa, an unexpected advantage that, uh, that Africa is offering, is that, okay, co the company will say, okay, uh, for us it's a lot better to have a stable government who, uh, who you can rely on, who doesn't make arbitrary decisions, but on the other hand, with an unstable government, uh, it's, it's quite often um, possible to avoid procedures that in the West would take a very long time and you would have to pay a lot of money for it, for example with environmental regulation. In Congo, you, you put a crate of beer uh, with the right civil servants and you have no, not, no procedures anymore, so it, it will save you a lot of money and time and in the end it will make your profit margins a lot higher than in the West, as we shall see. Um, yeah, there's, there's another uh, advantage of, uh, of Africa, uh, especially Nigeria we're talking here about. Um, since 2014, Heineken is organizing beer and health conferences in Nigeria. And on these conferences, uh, they tell you how many diseases are prevented by drinking beer. They advise you to take uh, two and a half bottles per day which in Nigeria, where the standard size of a bottle is uh, 0.6 liters, so 60 centiliters, so that they advise you to take 1.5 liters of beer every day. Um, to, it's supposed to uh, yeah, prevent like at least 10 different diseases. It will also make you live longer, they claim. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's also, um, especially for, for Guinness and um, uh, and the Heine Guinness is not a Heineken brand. The Heineken competitor to Guinness is called uh, Turbo King or Legend. Those are the two dark beers that Heineken makes in, uh, in some African countries. Uh, many African consumers are really convinced that they will enhance your sexual performances. Uh, so <laughs> they will take a lot of them on a Saturday afternoon and uh, hope for the best. Uh, <laughs> Another uh, reality that, that, that's not part of the Heineken narrative. Um, I found in my book that, uh, well, not in my book, I found on the, during my field work, <laughs> my research, <laughs> I wrote it down in my book, that, uh, yeah, that there are quite some serious stuff that Heineken is involved in. Uh, High-level corruption, uh, possible complicity, you always have to be careful, uh, uh, that's why I put possible, but uh, there is really strong evidence that Heineken is involved with complicity with human rights violations and with, um, with tax avoidance. So let me start by, uh, by, by talking about the last one. Um, tax avoidance is something different from tax evasion. Eh? The tax avoidance is a smart way of, it's not very ethical generally, 
but it's a smart way of not paying uh, very many taxes, but it's still legal. Um, but uh, it's more and more, there's more and more pressures on international companies not to make use of it. Uh, what Heineken does is um, they use a special company in Belgium, based in Brussels. They use this company only for Africa, and uh, this, 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 this intermediate company, they will um, resell the ingredients and the machinery that Heineken needs in Africa for a much higher price than they pay themselves. So this means that the profits in Africa are lower than they would be if, uh, if they had to pay the right price. And this means that a lot of tax doesn't go to the government, but it remains within the Heineken company. And it also means that partners, local partners of Heineken, because Heineken often works with local partners in, in African countries, they also lose money because of these transactions. So let me go, let me talk about Heineken in Burundi and then afterwards in Congo, because those are two of the most controversial countries that I visited. Um, the situation in, in, in Burundi is, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking uh, in some aspects. Heineken is working together there with the government. The government in Burundi is currently led by a president, he's called Pierre Nkurunziza, and he has had two terms, um, that's the maximum number of terms, but he didn't want to step down. Uh, so now this, this, this country is, is at the brink of a war, some people say even worse. Um, there's a lot of people disappearing, there, there's, there are about a quarter of a million refugees, so it's a very, very um, uh, dangerous situation. Um, but what Heineken does is uh, their um, yeah their profits because of the, uh, because the government is also part of the company their profits go directly to the company part the, the dividends and they are also by far the biggest taxpayer which in a way you could say it's good but what happens here with the taxes is that police officers and uh, the, the soldiers who commit atrocities against the own population are directly paid with the money from Heineken. So that's uh, according to, to the UN principles for, for business. You could argue that that's complicity with human rights, with serious human rights violations. What also happens is, happens is that um, actually when the, the president wanted his third term, he said, uh, okay, the constitutional court should rule whether I'm allowed to or not. And just before this ruling took place, the chairman, the, the highest judge of the constitutional court, was given a position within the local Heineken subsidiary. Um, and then still, he, he, there were many people, many judges within the constitutional court who didn't want to uh, agree with the third term of the president. Um, he really convinced them, you should really uh, <laughs> agree with it, because... Uh, otherwise, you have big problems, um, and no, in the end, the Constitutional Court ruled that he was allowed to run for a third term, and just afterwards, the, this chairman of the Constitutional Court got even promoted within Heineken, and he became the chairman of the board. So, that's, uh, yeah, that's the way things go in, in Burundi. 
but um, it's it's very very controversial uh, actually. So then Heineken in uh, in the DR Congo, uh, there are two Congos. Eh? This is the, the big one, the former Belgian colony, um, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So the company is known as locally as a Congolese company, which in some ways is maybe good, but it also means that they do business the way Congolese people do business quite often. It means that there's uh, corruption at all levels, uh, some very high sources told me, and there's even, um, yeah, I have very high sources, different ones, so I had enough information to write it down, that they really bribe very high level civil servants or uh, or, or our ministers with a lot of money to make give, yeah to make the right decisions in favor of, of Heineken, so that's that's really quite big. Um, then there's Jean-Pierre Bemba, who is a is a convicted war criminal. He is actually a business partner of, uh, of Heineken in uh, in Congo. And there's uh, when President Kabila, the the still president, is coming over to this city to Boma. A uh, small city near the coast. There's not a very luxurious hotel. There's nothing that really fits him to, uh, yeah, to, to stay over. So he can stay over in a villa that's property of Heineken. And according to my sources, uh, within Heineken, within uh, the, the, the Congolese um, subsidiary of Heineken, this really offers huge benefits. It gives you a direct access to the presidency. Is of a very big value. So these are really some some very strong, um, yeah, controversial business practices. Um, ah, I was talking that Africa was so. Uh, I was saying that Africa was so profitable. Let me as very quickly. You see at the right uh, up above, you see the group revenue and you see the group beer volume. So uh, Africa stands for about 15% of the, the total revenue and about 15% of all the beer sold. But if it comes to profits, it's almost 21%. This means that for every beer sold in Africa, Heineken earns almost 50% more than the global average. So it really earns a lot of money in Africa because because, I, like I told you, the context, uh, there are only three big players on the whole continent. In many countries, you have only one or two players. So with one player, you don't have any competition at all. And with two players, they quite often can make arrangements or agreements. So the Africans, I know that beer in Norway is very expensive. But in the Netherlands, it's not that expensive. And I noticed that quite often, Africans at a, at a shop, they pay the same money, like real money, not like, um, um, sorry, not relative, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as, as Dutch people would pay for their beers, whereas the costs for Heineken are very, are, sorry, are a lot lower and, um, uh, yeah, so the, in the end, the profit margin ends up to be uh, a lot higher than, uh, than, than, um, than in Europe, basically. Um, corporate social responsibility is, is really important for, for Heineken and it mainly serves um, as, as a justification of the way that uh, Heineken is doing business because they think 
and they claim like we have to do something back for the communities. Well, in, in my analysis, this, this corporate social responsibility is like the, what they say, like greenwashing. It's not really serious. They're not really um, uh, concerned about the people or the planet, like they say. It's mainly a way of, of marketing and of a justification for, for back home, uh, a way of doing business. If you look, for example, at this little school in, um, in, uh, in Nigeria, they put a big logo on it. They, they did some small refurbishments, and uh, there were a lot of promises they made. There, there would be electricity, there would be other things, but it never came. In the end, they, they did a little, a little bit of painting, and they put a beer logo on it. And um, yeah, I think this is more marketing than really uh, building a school. And the, the interesting thing is that in the development sector, at least in the Netherlands, people don't really believe that much into in building schools for Africa anyway, because normally if you build a school, uh, once the, the, the money stops coming, it will, it will not continue to work. And it's, it's, it's not really the purpose. Uh, yeah, it would be a lot better if, Africans were building this school themselves rather than a beer company building a school for Africa. <laughs> yeah, um, I already noted, uh, mentioned. Well, another thing of corporate social responsibility is that Heineken says we think it's very important uh, that people drink moderately. Well, the reality is that uh, salesmen and, and a lot of people involved with Heineken they push consumer uh, consumers always to drink as much as possible. One of the things is that the, the standard size of a bottle in Nigeria, I said it was 60 centiliters. In South Africa, for example, it's even 75 centiliters. So, um, and then people from Heineken say, a little bit patronizing. Uh, yeah, but these Africans, they like to share their beers. But if you see a bar in a, in a big African city, it's really one man, one bottle. So there's no sharing at all. And uh, it's also true that um, a, C, a former country manager of a, of a brewing company, he said, well, we put some extra sugar in the beer as well to make it less bitter so people can drink it in enormous quantities. Uh, yeah, my time is a bit limited, but um, yeah, this is our prime minister. He likes Heineken a lot, really a lot. Um, he actually, Heineken has some, some local sourcing projects, which as such are, are good ideas. That the idea is to, uh, to, to create more local sourcing, local ingredients. The thing is that these projects haven't been a success yet. They might become a success, but it's far too early to say. That doesn't stop Heineken from uh, getting really a lot of great attention um, uh, for it, a lot of media coverage. And our Prime Minister, who was uh, re-elected uh, a couple of weeks ago, he actually went as far as to go to the General Assembly of the United Nations and to promote Heineken in Burundi especially, which is like we saw in one of the most controversial countries uh, around. So he made some free publicity for Heineken in New York in the General Assembly, uh, which was pretty uh, shocking uh, even for the Dutch. Um, this is our minister, so he's a liberal, she's a social democrat, so it's not a question of being right-wing or left-wing, 
she really, whenever she visits Africa, she praises Heineken for their for their great activities and um, yeah, other things. This guy is our king, uh, with Putin and the queen. <laughs> the queen, when she was in Ethiopia, she also praised Heineken for all the great things they were doing. And, uh, well, they have some nice friends, as you can see. Uh... So, to conclude, should an African country be happy to have a Heineken company within its borders? Well, if you... Uh, ask Heineken themselves and they commission impact reports to show all the great things they are doing. Uh, they say we create more, create many jobs. Um, we can maybe talk about that uh, afterwards. Um, and they add a lot of value to the local economies. My findings is that very little of that actually uh, is, is really true if you, if you really look into it. Um, yeah, my findings are rather involvement in tax avoidance, human rights violations, corruption, propagation of alcohol abuse, um, and misleading marketing practices. So, I mean, there is there are some positive things to say about Heineken in Africa, definitely. We'll get to that in, in the discussion maybe as well. But all in all, if you really put everything together, I think that Heineken is rather a break for... Uh, a hindrance for, for development for African countries than a motor for that. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Olivier. Um, and I'm sure that some of you have uh, some things you want to pick up on later, so please take put down your questions and you can ask them uh, after our comments. So yeah, that's very uh, our next, next speaker, uh, as mentioned, he was sadly not able to be here uh, today. Um, however, he did send us a video. Emeka Dumbile is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Brunel University of London. Uh, and he has been researching a lot of what we are actually discussing here today, uh, namely the transnational alcohol industry's uh, marketing strategies. And also, he's looking into uh, how this works together with, uh, with alcohol policies. His focus is mainly on Nigeria and uh, the effects on marketing on health and young people in Nigeria. So now we'll have a 10 minute presentation yes. from Emeki. I'm just going to skip the introduction that he makes because it's quite long, but he will. Because of funding governments, although this is secret, but because of the high level. Um, Corruption in Nigeria, also this company is being part of the corruption, uh, or like part of the uh, system to encourage this corruption. They continue to wield uh, much influence. Um, so, in terms of advertising in Nigeria, Nigeria, uh, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's some policy and um, regulating alcohol control policies in Nigeria, and. Um, Alcohol industries, alcohol companies operate based on industrial and sort of marketing set regulations. And but there is an organization in Nigeria called Alcom, Advertising um, Practitioners and Association of our company, Corporation of Nigeria. And this Alcom um, has a code that states, states that uh, alcohol advertising, uh, so like billboards on especially outdoor advertising materials to be placed not um, from 20 meters 
away from schools, from hospitals, from um, worship centers like mosques and churches. But um, with other we have few, a few studies. One of them uh, was a recent studies which I conducted. The alcohol industry and the marketers do do not actually obey the these um, um, alcohol code of practice. They, they, in schools where uh, in school in campus where I I studied, alcohol industry is placed in uh, student eateries and very close to classrooms. You see b-balls, you see different uh, advertising materials placed in different places. So they don't actually obey these um, these um, alcohol code. In everywhere, in a few years back. Um, Venus, in particular, Venus, Nigeria, had their um, advertising in the afternoon. So, where alcohol advertising is supposed to be not um, broadcast between um, 5 a.m. in the morning and then um, 10 a.m. in the night. But uh, uh, Venus really had that bring uh, an African of nations in the afternoon. Uh, and they got away with it, of course, a, a marketing cycle regulation, although these laws. A few um, laws are there, but they don't respect it, and we can't hold them responsible so much because there's no policy. These are laws that um, association guiding of um, advertisers in Nigeria just uh, came up. They're not backed by federal government, they say. So alcohol industries continue to do um, different kinds of advertising. Henneken uh, has in Nigeria, Henneken has in different cities what they call Henneken Viewing Center. Football scholarship uh, is very common in Nigeria. Football fandom, Nigerians enjoy, um, especially males enjoy foreign football, and like European and um, Champions League, English Premiership League, and these companies have what they call viewing centers. They run these um, viewing viewing centers where people come to watch um, TV. My uh, my research um, shows that for you to. Be able, uh, be able to go into these um, venues to watch, you must buy Henneken. And because uh, breaking is a common thing in Nigeria, as people go in to buy guys, the tickets to enter is to buy Henneken. And if you go through, if you go there and buy Henneken, you sit and you watch um, at, uh, at the match, or live match, a live football free. So this uh, kind of advertising, and it goes on. So. It does, it's not done anywhere in the world in terms of the way it's done in Nigeria because there's no proof of age. Someone who is below 18 years can come in and buy and drink some and, 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 and sing football, football like football. So it's unregulated, both the, the, the laws that are there and are respected in terms of regulating advertising. Advertising is, is everywhere, it's flooded the streets, and the illness in particular. And these companies, they've now started doing this issue of advertising brand and identity, where they associate brands to, uh, in terms of success. Um, like Kenneken has um, this issue in Nigeria, like if you drink Kenneken, that means you're rich. It has to do with being rich, being um, economic, what I call economic capital. Uh, and different things, different kinds of advertising they, 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 they do it in Nigeria. So it goes on. Specifically, I use Nigeria as an example. I don't know whether it happens that way in other African countries. And these are not ethical, especially 
some, some, uh, some brands have been associated with uh, sexual products, uh, some brands uh, associated with um, success, some brands associated with um, uh, 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 strength, uh, and uh, 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 studies conducted in a particular study um, conducted among uh, uh, in our four or five African countries, and it, it shows that in, in Somalia, especially in Nigeria, these companies go away with these issues that have been outlawed in developed countries. So uh, these are unethical aspects of the advertising, but it continues even to date. Then on the other issue, a profit of social responsibilities, uh, uh, corporates, both uh, alcohol companies in Nigeria use, obviously <coughs> what they do is, uh, what they want is profit, but they also use the uh, so-called corporate responsibilities to, and uh, um, um, what I, I say, to cover up in terms of seeking for profits. For example, some, uh, they go in to uh, construct school, there's a secondary school in any state in southeastern part of Nigeria. They constructed uh, buildings uh, for the school, and you paint the building uh, with Star. Star is a Hennekin company. Star is a popular brand. You paint it, what you're doing is you are advertising this billboard. And students are, uh, in secondary school are less than 18 years. Some of them all less than, uh, so they are minors. So what you're doing, you, although you built a, a constructed secondary school block, a, a class room block, but you painted it with your brand. So you are advertising uh, uh, your brand already. Uh, so uh, these are some of the things they do. So in what it means that young people, in a particular study that, that was conducted in Africa, in Nigeria, Ghana, and three other African countries, and, and, and shows that minors in Nigeria uh, want to, they want to, they said they want to drink, in a particular brand they want to drink, and the, 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 the why, they asked the why, they said it's because of the way it's advertised, and also because they give free users, uh, and one of the aspects of marketing is buy one gets two free, or buy one gets one free, and these companies do it a lot, and my, my recent research uh, and has shown that there are these are things that they do. Of course, these are it's not peculiar to Nigeria, but the issue in Nigeria that is often targeted at young people and women. Then, so it's totally negative. I don't see anything positive in in it. Then, um, the other issue is when I think uh, alcohol industry brings benefits or disadvantages to the countries which they operate in Nigeria, in particular, alcohol companies. Have not done us any good uh, as in Nigeria because they have encouraged and they are still encouraging um, uh, drinking, uh, um, excessive drinking. There are different social events that are encouraging nighttime economy. In Africa, nighttime economy is, um, is not popular, but these companies are doing everything to encourage women to drink, not just women, minors. And different brands are associated with recording women's drink. And they are, they said, they associated with the women's independence, and women are drinking. There's a particular event called Star Trek. Star Trek is sponsored by Heineken Star, uh, producer of Star, it's called Star, Star Trek. And this event uh, is trying to reinvent the social drinking that is very popular in Nigeria, but it's targeted at university students and other youth, I mean, young people that are somehow below uh, 18 years. For you to ask, what they do is in this event, they they contract different musicians, different comedians, entertainers, artists in Nigeria, and they come in, they <coughs> organize it in 10 different cities in Nigeria every year. 
And what they do is they go to social media, young people, they give them opportunity to choose the artists they want to come to their venues. And because these artists are, I mean, world class, for you to see them live, you have to pay so much, like, um, even it's in pounds, something like 100 pounds. But in Nigeria, they do it less than 50p. And these people come, but what is there is that if you don't buy the tickets, you buy Henneken, uh, uh, sorry, you buy Star. Star is produced by Henneken Company, you buy Star. So the, 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 it's either you buy a drink or pay 200 naira equivalent. And of course, young people told me that if you go there, you don't just buy one. You keep drinking and drinking, and you go see that to different kinds of things. HIV, I took time, if I had come to the event, I would have been able to and, and show the pictures I picked from the Facebook page. And then they upload these companies, this company, and Henneken. Nigerian breweries upload these pictures they, they took uh, to social media and they give young people opportunity to go and uh, comment, to go and do different kinds of things. And if you see these pictures, generally we know that these are not unethical. Artists pouring, I mean, uh, feeding young people with staff as they are dancing. I mean, the artists on stage, it's different kinds of things they do. And apart from this, they also, I'm sure you might have um, uh, learned about the Gouda Ultimate Search, a TV reality show, the, the, the Starting Company. A sponsor, and what they do there is that you register for the event, you register online, then they invite you. If you pass the online screen, you they invite you to to um, you come for live screen, and to for you to qualify for live screen, you have to come with ten recently used cans of Hennepin uh, and stand here. And so what it means is that they are currently binge drinking. So young people go and buy 10, 10, 10 uh, uh, cans of beer. You drink it because you want to come to events. How many millions of Nigeria do you think we buy it? So what is doing? They're encouraging not just uh, uh, drinking, excessive drinking, and just this for profit. So they, they've done uh, 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 more harms. And recently, um, I'm sure Olivier uh, will be able to Say this because he was one of punchable to this event. Uh, now they are sponsoring what they call um, a symposium in Nigeria, where they, they bring doctors, they bring nutritionists, and different professors from the university pay them, and they come to encourage people uh, and, and telling them the, the, the benefits of uh, benefits of drinking beer, the nutritional values of drinking beer, and little is mentioned, little uh, nothing is mentioned about uh, the negative. Consequence, I mean, the consequence of drinking beer in a country where uh, uh, different alcohol, uh, um, alcohol problems are rising up and growing in numbers. You don't mention it, you invite people to encourage them to drink beers. And this, this is the third. <laughs> okay, a bit of rough end, end there, but uh, I hope that you at least got an uh, idea of uh, how. Uh, different alcohol companies are running their aggressive marketing uh, through MSC's speech. Um, so we have one more speaker, uh, or one more, uh, one more commenter, it's Eysen Bakke. Eysen Bakke is Senior Advisor uh, in the Alcohol, Drugs and Development uh, Program in the Norwegian NGO Fordit, who is also uh, one of the organizations who is organizing, organizing tonight's event. And he will give us some um, uh, some 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 comments on uh, the political framework and uh, also prospects in Norway. So please say that. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I'm given given a few minutes to comment, uh, and thank you, and thank you to Olivier for for a good presentation earlier today. Uh, I would like to to start with the headline for this evening's uh, program: Heineken, a new colonial power, uh, and start by asking what were, was the characteristics of uh, colonial powers. I think one of the characteristics of colonial powers was uh, exploitation bringing resources, bringing values out of the continent and back home to Europe. Uh, and I think uh, Olivier has demonstrated uh, today that that is exactly what is happening, uh, partly by the tax uh, uh, planning and tax avoidance uh, schemes that they use, but also throughout uh, the purpose of their business is to make profit from uh, their beer uh, business and bring that back to their shareholders and into the company for investments. Uh, and at least their shareholders are mostly not in Africa. Of course, some are there, uh, but, uh, but not the majority of them. So in that sense, I think we can uh, tick a confirmative uh, uh, on, on that aspect. Uh, in, other, in, a, in another uh, aspect is that what uh, Heineken and other beer companies is uh, selling uh, beer is not an uh, ordinary commodity in, in, in that sense. It is an, a commodity that has certain risks related to health uh, and social issues. And that was also touched here. I think WHO has pointed out that uh, in the global burden of disease, uh, about 3.3 million uh, deaths annually globally from alcohol uh, underlines that this is not just any, uh, any commodity. And it has health risks, and it is the highest uh, risk for early death among men uh, worldwide, uh, in, including um, in Africa, age, uh, men aged 15 to, uh, to 29. Uh, alcohol is the biggest uh, risk for death. And it's linked uh, to other uh, challenges that we know are common in Africa, accidents, traffic, HIV-AIDS, uh, etc. So, uh, another aspect of colonialism uh, was power. We talk about the colonial powers, and they had power. I mean, they were actually running uh, the government uh, in these countries. Uh, and I think that uh, Olivier has also demonstrated here today that Heineken, and I think it goes from other companies, multinational -company, multi companies uh, uh, as well, they have power. Uh, and one of the aspects how you can measure this is looking at their financial uh, power. Uh, these companies are bigger than most of the bigger economies than most of the, the countries in Africa, or at least many of them. Uh, and uh, uh, another company then, uh, apart from Heineken, uh, is uh, S.A.B. Miller, mentioned by, by Olivier uh, earlier, based in South Africa. It was one of the biggest companies on the continent. It recently merged with A.B. InBev, which is not uh, familiar to most people, but if you mention Budweiser and some of those brands, they, uh, they're, uh, that's a bit more familiar. Uh, so the two biggest beer companies actually recently merged to become the biggest beer company, more than twice uh, the size of its closest competitor, which is Heineken. 
So these companies are really, uh, really merger, uh, really, uh, really huge. Um, and the merger between SAB Miller and AB InBev was valued to about $100 billion. And if you compare uh, the economy of Nigeria, the by far biggest economy in uh, Africa, is about $415 billion. Uh, AB InBev, before uh, purchasing SAB Miller, was worth $45 billion, which is about the same size as the the, um, as the gross national product of uh, a country like Ghana. Heineken is uh, valued at uh, 20, has, has a financial turnover of uh, 20 billion US dollar, which is about the same size as the gross domestic product of a country like uh, Zambia. So, and Malawi, which is a country where Ford is working, has a gross uh, domestic product of 5.4 billion. So it's only a quarter of the size uh, of a country, of a company like, like Heineken. So yes, I think these companies do have power, uh, and as such they would uh, qualify for being considered uh, colonial powers. Um, and what did the, another third aspect, which uh, will be the last that I mentioned, is that colonial powers were actually uh, running the uh, countries, they were uh, designing the policies in those countries. And we uh, investigated a few years ago an initiative taken by that time SAB Miller also in several countries in uh, uh, South and, uh, and East Africa to write up the national alcohol policy uh, of, uh, of uh, at least four countries. We saw traces of the attempts in, se in several other countries at also, but in Malawi, Botswana, Uganda and Lesotho, we were able to find uh, national alcohol policy documents, which were basically all similar for the four countries. <clears throat> and if you looked at the properties of the word document, you, can, you could see that it was initially written by an employee of SAB Miller. So this is something that we campaigned uh, quite a bit around, and we have, are happy to see that in several of these countries a new uh, process to get more uh, public health-oriented uh, alcohol control uh, policies uh, in place has started and recently succeeded, uh, among other places, uh, in uh, Malawi. So yes, uh, these uh, companies do resemble uh, uh, colonial powers uh, and they are uh, looking at getting more people to drink their products. Uh, a representative of Daegio said recently that the opportunity in uh, Kenya, that was uh, specific to Kenya, he was looking at the business there and saying that a large share uh, of alcohol um, uh, is uh, or a large pressure of the population do not drink alcohol and six out of ten consumers in Kenya do not drink formal alcohol today for either religious reasons, lifestyle reasons or usually uh, affordability reasons. And then he continues saying the opportunity for Diageo in Kenya is very much about increasing the size of the pie and getting after the illicit sector which is around 50%. So basically, they're looking at getting more people to drink, uh, and of course to drink more. And one of the th ways they can do that is to convert the, the, the majority of uh, non-drinking population, the female population of uh, Africa, to drinking. 
So one of the things they do is to launch a new product called Smirnoff Ice Electric Guarana and Ginseng added uh, to make it, again, a very healthy product. Thank you very much. Thank you, Einstein, and uh, you can please just uh, stay here and find a seat if you want. So now we have about half an hour left of today, um, and uh, I will be taking questions, so we saw some, some people over there. Um, but just first, I just want to, want to um, uh, ask you a few questions. Olivier, uh, Einstein just uh, um, discussed the title of today's seminar, which is... Um, Heineken, the new colonialist. Would you say that uh, the way Heineken is operating has uh, colonialist, uh, or can, uh, that it can remind of the colonialism? Well, <clears throat> uh, I'm very prudent with such uh, qualifications. I think, even though I can see your, your arguments, uh, and I might agree with part of them, but I think um, it's, it's too... Um, yeah, maybe it's different in a country without a colonial past, like Norway, but in Holland it's 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 a bit too strong maybe to say that... Uh, I wouldn't qualify Heineken as a neo-colonial power. Uh, and I think there are too many differences um, to, 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 to call it that way. And I think, it, for me, that's another debate. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's it's uh, the most relevant part is to see what they're doing now and to see the way things are working. And for me, it's not that relevant if you if you call it neo-colonialist or or something else, or exploitative or uh, yeah. So that's that's my point of view. Mm. Um, uh, but leaving the le leaving the brands uh, out of the out of the discussion, if we remove that, uh, is I did talk about how different companies are actually writing the alcohol companies, the alcohol policies of, of, of countries. Was this something you came across? Yes, yes, I came across, sorry, <laughs> I came across it as well. Um, I, I discovered, for instance, in Nigeria that um, Heineken has a, is, is by far the biggest player there. And they also, um, yeah, a former boss told me so himself, uh, at one point, Heineken uh, tried to write the, the alcohol policy of Nigeria itself because it offers a lot of um, advantages to, yeah, to to create such policy yourself. Then you you make it in such a way because it was the context is as in two thousand five, uh, African countries were encouraged to wasn't it two thousand five uh, to uh, by the WHO to um, to create uh, alcohol policies. Mm -hmm. And of course, the beer industry um, did want them as as uh, as soft as, as possible. Like they always claim, like the tobacco industry uh, uh, tried to do for a long time as well, that like as long as we do something about it ourselves, then you don't get all these draconic measures. And in the tobacco industry, did this did did this uh, this did happen? Sorry. Um, like the tobacco industry now uh, has the the packages that are like uh, very unattractively and they have they can't do any advertising anymore. So the the scenario of the tobacco industry is is a worst case scenario for the alcohol industry. So they try to do uh, 
yeah, to, to, to put some measures into place that don't really help but uh, to, to fight alcohol abuse, mm -hmm. but that give the impression that they're working on it themselves. Uh, so it makes uh, regulation from the government um, unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, um, but however, how, I mean, you have both been touching on, uh, upon this, but could you say a bit more, I mean, how uh, do the companies actually get into those rooms where they can write those policies? How do they get that power? You can also come to that if you want. Yeah, um, yeah well, um, what this person explained me about Nigeria is that uh, the minister, uh, the health ministry in Nigeria, wasn't really doing anything on it, so they, they, they took the opportunity themselves, like, okay, we write it for you, you know, so it's, it's, it's presented as a service uh, to, to the government, but on the same, on, at the same time, if a Nigerian government is really um, trying to, uh, to make a serious issue about it, they kind of find that this policy is already in place, you know. So it kind of uh, it's it's kind of a preemptive strike, you could say, uh, before people really want to do something, want to tackle this problem in a way. So that's pretty smart. Uh. You want to come on? Yeah, just a little bit because in the four cases that we studied, uh, uh, it was interesting to see that the approach of the industry was not to go through the Ministry of Health, but to go through the Ministry of Industry, so the Ministry of Tourism. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is where they, they, they started at. And as, uh, as uh, Olivier mentioned, they also used uh, WHO as an argument. Uh, WHO in 2010 passed a global strategy to reduce the harmful use of alcohol, as it's called. Uh, and uh, the alcohol industry has been trying to portray that as if they have been given a role in this designing policy, which is totally wrong if you really read the document. And there has been quite a few... Uh, there has been some protest from civil society around how the industry has been uh, portraying their role in, in that global industry, uh, global strategy. But they've been trying to use that. And then, of course, the argument of the, 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 the business they bring in terms of employment and, uh, and turnover and things like that. And taxation, even if, I mean, they're very good at planning not to pay tax, they still use that as an argument for, for their role in the society, as they usually call it. Uh, another issue that is also re related to this and the question about uh, whether this is actually a neo-colonialist approach um, uh, is um, you mentioned the illicit sector and I'm not sure what you're referring to but uh, I, I read somewhere that uh, the large uh, beer companies like Heineken uh, which have so much control in the market they actually um, of course, they are a very fierce, fierce competition for local breweries, but and also to tradi traditional brewery. Would you care to comment on that? Yes, yes, that's um, uh, that's seen as one of their main competitors in many uh, countries. Like they, they're they're only like I said, there are only one or two big players, often in a, like industrial players in a country. So the biggest competition comes from uh, from traditional drinks like uh, sorghum, uh, beer, uh, banana wine, uh, drinks based on cassava or honey. So uh, for Heineken it's, uh, and for the, uh, for the other uh, companies as well, it's really important to get those drinkers uh, to their own beer, to drink their own beer. And uh, one of the ways they're doing that 
is by saying that uh, traditional beer is really dangerous and bad for your health, whereas we saw their own beer is really good to prevent many diseases. But the thing they do is um, they, they, there are some very, very dangerous drinks out there. In, uh, for example, in Kenya, you have a drink called Changa, and it translates apparently as kill me quick. And uh, sometimes it's made with, with, uh, with um, yeah, well, with the worst things possible with rats. Uh, sometimes it's maybe myths, but there are some very, every year you have people dying from it. You have uh, people turning blind all of a sudden. So there are some really uh, dangerous drinks. But what Heineken does is they put all these drinks together, whereas the, the traditional, the real traditional drinks like sorghum beer, they're normally a lot more nutritious than an industrial beer. They have they contain less alcohol, more vitamins. They are actually a lot better for you. But they take the worst drink, the worst traditional drink out there, and they uh, put it all together and they say like, okay, stop drinking local drinks, take our beer, it's better for you. So that's one of the ways they try to conquer these drinkers. Um. Mm. One last question before I open up for the floor. Um, the Norwegian oil fund, as uh, most of you here probably know, uh, Norway, uh, Norwegian state, and also all, all people in Norway, own uh, the world's, world's largest state uh, sovereign wealth fund. Um, the Norwegian, oil, uh, we call it the oil fund. And the Norwegian oil fund has invested a five billion Norwegian kroner, which is like 400 million uh, US dollars, in Heineken. Um, I would like you both just br briefly to comment on their investments. What What is the oil fund's responsibility as an investor, and should the fund actually withdraw? Well, from what I've understood is that ethical, ethical uh, entrepreneurship is really important for these funds. And... Um, yeah, for, for me, I don't really, I'm not going to mingle into this discussion, but I think uh, that if ethical standards are uh, so important, then uh, at least you should have a look at what a company is really doing in Africa. And like we've seen, uh, it's not a very rosy picture that comes from, uh, from my findings, from my, my research. So I think it's some serious material to consider at least. Uh, I can comment briefly by a, a yes, I think we should uh, divest from that, but that's no surprise to those who know Forut, uh, because we know they, they would know that we are running a campaign to try to make the oil fund get out of the whole alcohol sector. We feel that uh, the alcohol sector, similar to the tobacco sector, has so many ethical uh, challenges uh, attached to it, that we would find it better for the oil fund to withdraw from the whole whole scene. It's related to the health impact, it's related to the social impact, it's related to their marketing practices and their business practices, so there's so many, many issues attached to that. Thank you. Okay, are there any questions from the floor? Yes, there's one over there. And it would be really good if you could come up here and ask the questions in the microphone. And the reason for that is uh, that we're actually taping a podcast here tonight, so it would help the listeners at home. You can get the microphone through on. Okay. Uh, I really appreciate uh, I'm really pretty much for you, and a little bit <laughs> for you. My name is Gilbert Sobra. Of course, I wrote a rebellious book called Black Norwegian. The police hate me for that. 
Um, I'm very pro-Pan-Africanist as a black Norwegian. This story, this, this picture said pretty much very clear. Um, we don't want to talk a lot about the prophets. You're destroying his prophet. And my people pay the price for that prophet. The question is, um, is this picture basically, what is your motivation? Uh, your motivation is understood and what's your own motivation? Because um, usually, um, Africa carries the bulk the bottom of all the exploitation. Africa pays $5 billion a year, which we lose as profits because of malpractice to the same people uh, when we have their education um, in Africa, West. Um, it seems to me like the motivation here is it to convince our young, um, uh, our, our, other, our groups of uh, new citizens or other white brothers and sisters to do good governance if they go into it? Or is it like the continuation to sabotage and put Africa under the dark light? Because we have our moonshine here. Uh, the elites have controlled most societies. In the doping system, since more than 200 years plus now. Doping system, which means the more they give us middle class whites, blacks, poor blacks, poor whites, we are happy. And the more we have to be pushed from the site, you will feel better. Is, it, is this light here to make it important that we should practice good governance and that we should push for, uh, uh, for a society whereby everybody will benefit or is this light just to make sure that Africa is right on the day? And that is uh, my most important question. And when it comes to the cocaine, which our elites still bring in this country, which the Black Brothers pay the price for it, we don't have a profit. Uh, is it something we're going to combine? Because it, it comes to the boiling point of humanity. The, the drugs is here. We have the cocaine here. We have the moonshine here. We have our own alcohol, and uh, whereby families have the same problem. So how, we, how are we going to incorporate that to see that it's a civilized a humanitarian issue than just being an issue which is affecting Africa? Thank you. Well, my motivation uh, uh, yeah, is really from a, a journalistic point of view. Uh, I think there was a lot of information that was not available. That there has never, to my knowledge, and I've done, done quite a bit of research in it, on it, there has never been a, a case study on a company uh, in Africa, like what are they really doing in Africa. I've, I've been to many seminars the last few months and everything. And whenever all the information that's available, normally also for academics, also for journalists, comes from the, um, from the companies themselves. People don't go and watch what's really happening uh, in the countries where they are active. So I think, especially since, um, since companies uh, play such a big role and they even take over government functions and uh, they get subsidies uh, to do business in Africa, I think it's really important to know what they are really doing and what are the consequences. So that is for me my motivation to, uh, to do it. And what people do with that information afterwards, for me as a journalist, I consider that yeah, to, to people uh, to decide for themselves. Uh. Any other questions? Yeah. 
Um, you said you found uh, evidence of uh, human rights violations within Heineken's uh, subcontractors or Heineken itself. Do you know if there's been any trials to prosecute or investigate any of these human rights violations? Or have you been in touch with uh, NGOs or civil society organizations that are looking into that? Well, I know that there is something related to it happening. There's uh, a group of uh, almost 200 people in, in Congo who got uh, fired during uh, this, what they call the Second Congo War, which was taking place between 1998 and 2003. And uh, during that period, the brewery was in an occupied zone of Congo, and Heineken was dealing directly with the rebels, who were not the legitimate governments, and they were having a lot of benefits from dealing with them, and they also uh, contributed, they, they continued to pay taxes as if they were the real government. And from the start, it's, it's the, 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 the movement is called the RCD. Uh, this RCD was uh, heavily involved in atrocities against the people um, that was all very well documented. So, um, um, this, this case uh, is about these workers being laid off um, while having permission uh, of these, this illeg illegitimate government. Uh, and this is, a, this is in process now. Uh, so, um, yeah, there, there, is, there are things happening. Um, yeah. Hello, uh, my name is Musa Silla. Uh, actually, listen, uh, my question is uh, through listening to uh, listening your conversation, you know, all the exploitation, human rights violation, at least, you know, which is going on on top of at least, you know, Africans. You know, for me, at least, you know, I think this is not something which is new. I guess at least, you know, all of you people, you heard about the you know, Berlin Conference, uh, 1884 to 1886. You know, which has happened at least in Berlin. By then, uh, United Nations was existing, you know, which is called League of Nations. You know, all these atrocities have been happening years after years after years after years, you know, by the West. Of course, yes, our political elites. So I'm wondering, you know, if we all bear a witness, Africa, we build almost the entire world with our mineral resources. Almost. All the mineral resources we build, most of the part of the world, predominantly, is coming from Africa. Yet still, we don't even have a respect, you know, on the streets. We are abused, so on and so forth, and we are abusing our own country. So what I'm saying, this young generation, what can we do in order to suppress this kind of thing against the Africans? Oh, that's a very, <laughs> that's a very difficult question. Uh, uh, I mean... Yeah, I think that goes a little bit beyond the scope of, of my research as well. Uh, but I, of course, I see what you mean, and I think that companies and, and Western governance play a, a big role in that. But of course, it's also the fact that uh, many African countries have been independent for at least 50 years now, and governments have not always done a great job either. So it's it's probably a bit of both uh, sides. Uh, yeah, so. In that sense, okay, what is the essence of us having United Nations or the uh, beautification of the world which we call human rights? Is it functioning in this sense? Or is it just a problem? 
so, sorry, I don't really understand the yeah, question. I'm talking about at least, you know, because you were saying that most of the African countries, we got our independence just in the 1960s. Ghana was one of the first countries, you know, we got the independence, which was 1959, just 60 years ago. So now I'm saying, okay, well, that's what you've said. Okay, hold on, your prime minister, he was in the United Nations, you know, advertising alcohol, you know, about how to exploit Africans. Yes. Reinforcing the doping system. Exactly. Mm. But in that sense, uh, we feel by the entire United Nations and then, you know, the entire Western world, including our elites, or not? That is my question. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what I can say, I, I, it's, it's a, I think it's a very broad question, but what, what I can say is that what I found out in my research as well is that when um, Heineken has often, in, in many countries, they've been um, active since before colonization, uh, uh, like since before independence, uh, and when many countries got their independence in the early 60s, the late 50s uh, for Ghana, uh, they actually created a system which... Um, which um, uh, now the, well, let, let me finish quickly. They created a system of... Um, um, uh, accounting system, a double accounting system. So one of them was presented to the, the local fiscal service and another one was black and a lot of money was extracted uh, from these African countries to a Swiss company in order to whitewash it in another way. So one of the things um, I'm, I'm putting forward in my book and I say that more research is needed to really... Um, uh, find that out, but one of the things that people are often saying is that Western companies adapt to uh, African business practices which are full of corruption and other things, but I think in this case there's clear evidence that actually the corruption uh, and the, the fraud was set up by the, the European companies. So in that sense, um, I think that's that's a very interesting perspective to look, f uh, yeah, to look more into. Um, I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah. yeah, I would like to just comment briefly because it's a very big question you're raising, of course, what can we do about all this? But I think that one of the things that we can do is bring it out in the open and get a discussion around it. And then I think we need to keep both our uh, politicians and our companies accountable to what they are doing uh, and ask them to stop the practices which are uh, hurting the continent and hurting the world. Uh, all together, I mean, it's all connected like a famous Norwegian uh, got famous for saying is all connected to every everything is connected to everything. Brundtland, when she was making that st statement. And it is, of course, a complicated issue. There are lots of ways that things, things are, are uh, connected here, but bringing this out into the open and asking for some accountability, I think, is a good start. They shouldn't forget is about it, uh, the sorry. I just want to see, there are some other questions here as well. Please, Lady with black hair, if you can. Uh, yeah. uh, I was just wondering, um, when Dutch media read your book and it was a coverage, how did that come about and what did the people say and did that change anything at all? Um, the book got uh, quite a lot of attention, in the, especially in the written press and uh, on the radio. It was quite interesting to see that we have some talk shows um, uh, which showed interest, but in the end uh, they thought that, uh, well, I wasn't invited for any of them. 
um, even though they like my story and I thought I was good to, to, in telling it. And I think there is a bit of reluctance in, in really being too critical on a company that's considered as one of uh, our national prides. Uh, and... Um, even I myself, when I was drinking, um, yeah, like I said, I don't really like the brand of Heineken, but when I was taking an Amstel in, uh, in Burundi, there's a certain, well, you're like all these thousand miles from home and they're, they're brewing this, this Amsterdam beer. I'm from Amsterdam. So there is a certain uh, pride attached to this. Uh, so... I think for many it went too far to show, you have two sort of reactions, you have like, okay, no, three, you have many people who claim it, then you have people who say, well, we know that multinationals are doing bad things, so what else is new? And then you have people more in, in denial, uh, like, uh, no, but uh, they have this program called Brewing a Better Future, they're building schools, they're uh, creating local agriculture, so it can't be that bad as you uh, as you say. So so those are sort of the, the reactions uh, you get. And, well, like like um, I asked the the, the, the CEO, the, the big boss, uh, what what did change, and well, all he could tell me was serious soul searching, and it can mean a lot, but it can also mean nothing. So um, yeah, that's um, that's what concretely happened. <laughs> I haven't seen any other hands. I don't know what here. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I think I'll, I would like to leave the first people who haven't spoken, and then uh, it will also be possible to have discussions afterwards. Yeah, please, in the cap. Uh, and please, just come and uh, take the microphone because of the podcast. Thank you. Hello, my name is Alpha. I just wanted to put out a point because uh, what happened, for example, in a picture you saw there, a pharmacy can be painted and something like that. I'm from Congo and from Kinshasa as well. What happened today in Africa is like people want to do business and they, they, they don't understand how business is done. And sometimes they just want to provide for their family. So when people like Anakin come with a proposition to paint the pharmacy and stuff like that, for them it's a favor. So they need to, to, to difference a favor and a business because they can just, Anakin can destroy what they destroy and show it, show it them like I'm doing you a favor, you understand? So I think that's where, you know, people misunderstanding what is happening, what is going on. And the next, I haven't read your book and I really want to read it now. And I want you, if you want to read another book, to try to differentiate those kind of things so that people can see that sometimes they have their getting is no, they have their tank, they're given that. Yeah. And that's, that was it. Uh, it's, it's a very good remark because actually people who have their pharmacy painted in the Heineken, in the, the Primus logo, mm -hmm. they are happy about it. Mm -hmm. But I think that doesn't stop, uh, like Heineken is a company who claims to do business according to all the Western standards and guidelines. Mm -hmm. So they have their own responsibility. Uh, they might make people happy by doing this. But on the same, on the, at the same time, they know that uh, they wouldn't get away with it in, in the West to paint a pharmacy with a Primus logo. So uh, what I want to show with this, 
and the schools are even uh, worse, of course. Um, that's um, the, the claim that they are doing business according to the same standards as in Europe is actually false. And it's also because often also um, you have you can uh, there's cultural relativation. Eh? Sometimes you say, yeah, okay, we have to adapt to local cultures. But you can also say that um, it's, it's, for example, what, what uh, the CEO told me uh, about Kabila staying over at the brewery villa in, uh, in Boma. He said, well, what can we do if, if he, he asked me, us to, to, to give him a villa? Uh, it's, it's local culture that you can't refuse that. But, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a point of, uh, there's a border, you know? You can't, uh, you can't claim that you do business according to, to best practices uh, in Europe and adapt to cultures at the, at the same time. So, I, okay, if, you, if you're open about it, we have to uh, pay bribes to get things done. Uh, we deduct it from our, uh, from our uh, profits. Uh, okay, be open about it and uh, people can judge it or uh, even judges can judge it. But now they're doing it, um, uh, they're, they're saying they're not doing it. So that's why I think it's important to show what's really happening. Um, our time is, uh, is, is up. Um, I just want us all to give a round of applause to the panel. And thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much, uh, Olivier, Oivin. Thank you very much, Ingrid, for a very good discussion. Uh, we have a little bit little gifts for you. As uh, Johannes gave in the gifts, I just want uh, to remind you all again that uh, this discussion and all the previous discussions from Felix Leda, Africano, are available on iTunes or any other of your favorite applications, uh, podcast applications. So just check them out uh, by checking out Felix Leda on, your, on, your, on, on the app. I also want to remind you that uh, this is a monthly event that we hold and uh, on the 26th of April we'll have another interesting discussion on refugees, politics and Kenya. So you're welcome, this place, same place, yep. Yep. same place at 6 o'clock for that discussion.